One more announcement that the um, that Yvonne Ginsberg, who's been leading the group the last three weeks, and I want to thank Yvonne out loud for for leading the group for three weeks, and she's a marvelous teacher. Yeah, yay, Yvonne! And she is leading a residential meditation retreat at Wood Valley Temple in, on the big island of Hawaii for about five days in early March. And anyone, as she put it, who would be interested in making the extravagant trip to the big island, she'll be leading a retreat along with Rick Center, who is uh, the founder of the leader of the Mindfulness Care Center over on Gough Street. So if you want that information, go to their site, Mindfulness Care Center, and there's information. But that might be fun. So tonight feels a little bit, to me, like the first night of a retreat. And I just came off of leading a five-day silent retreat at Spirit Rock Center. And I had this feeling the first night that that those who were coming to the retreat were coming off of, they were about to enter a kind of detox and and that they were, everybody, as they always are at the beginning of retreats, was uh, wound up, tight, uh, exhausted, mostly having uh, been uh, receiving teachings from our uh, consumer machine that is constantly giving the message of the when the going gets tough, the tough go shopping, go eating, go distracting, that to distract yourself any way you can, to think all day, to be lost in thought. This is basically the message of our world. And to come on retreat is to experience the residue or the effects of how we've lived our life. And when people come on retreat, they're beginning anew. They're saying, I have completed whatever has happened before. I have finished doing what I needed to do to be able to arrive on retreat. And it's always a, it's quite an accomplishment to unplug, to peel ourselves away from the momentum of our lives and, and come on retreat. I consider it very similar to peel ourselves away from the momentum of our day and our work to come on Tuesday night. So I consider this a little mini-retreat, a mini-retreat, a, a mini-detox center where you can experience both the effects of your daily life and actually use them. Use whatever you experience here as your call to awareness, call to self-compassion, care, and call to the life of the present moment. And then also use it, um, use it to uh, inspire your... Um, your self-care, not just self-compassion, but active self-care. Because the seeds that get planted here, hopefully it's just not done in a vacuum, that it, that, it's, um, that it's the beginning, I hate to say this, but it, this is the beginning of the rest of your life.
And then the added concept of this being a new year. You know, I, I'm always debating about doing a New Year's resolution talk because when I close my eyes any moment or when I, when I don't give rise to a thought in any moment, I don't think of the past or the future in, in any moment, time disappears. No one on present evidence know what, knows what year it is. We have to call on our memory to think about what year it is, what date it is, even what hour it is, how old each of us is. That's all based on memory. And that's the general domain through which we perceive our lives. Our lives are often based on memory. And that's, a, that's just built into our, our consciousness. However, meditative awareness helps us to wake out of that limited, very narrow domain of time, that view of ourselves as having been born a certain date, moving through this date on our way to another date, and, and that, that movement through our lives is... Uh, that picture in our mind, that thought, that story, is often one of, of ang- that produces a lot of anxiety. A lot of, lots of feeling. But when we stop and we're very simply present, our, our gender vanishes, our sexual orientation vanishes, at least momentarily, our, um, our ethnic heritage vanishes, our past vanishes our, vanishes, our future vanishes, our age, everything vanishes. And we taste life as it is. And usually, when we taste life as it is, stepping out of our thought worlds and our story worlds, there is, there is peace. There's peace. There's often peace that was so close, but it wasn't accessible because we were so in, entranced by that conceptual level of things where I was, uh, I'm so-and-so and I'm getting older. I, I was talking a lot on the retreat about the fact that I'm 61. You know, my story is I'm 61. When I'm sitting here, I don't feel 61. I don't see 61. I don't, all I see is you. <laughs> and I just, when I hear, I just hear the, the, the present sounds. And when I feel, I just feel the present feelings. When I, when I have sensations, they're just sensations. They're not 61 years old. That's the story about me. And yet, that relative, that I, it is relatively true that I'm 61. This body is 61 years old. And with 61 years old, I've been having a lot more thoughts about being 61 years old. <laughs> and, of course, as when I do happen to see, even though I'm not seeing myself, I'm seeing a reflection in a mirror. I see it more gray hairs, and I notice more lines, and I, know, and, and I can easily, easily when I think of myself as 61, get entranced to the whole experience of aging. And this is not that I, I want to deny aging, but aging is only a partial experience of reality. So where is 2015 now? 
Where is the past now? Where is the future now? In absolute truth, there is no such thing. It's just a conceptual overlay on this impossible to describe, awesome, miraculous experience of us being together. Just wow. What can you really say about it? Except we're here. So having said all of that, it is 2015. It's January 13th, the beginning of the year. It's often a time when, for those of us who, who live by the calendar, and I am, believe it or not, I am scheduled through 2016. It's amazing for somebody that talks every day about stepping out of time. How schedule? schedule. It's the it's the it's the height of irony, um, at least in my mind. But it's 2015, and these these demarcations of the calendar, this this symbol of the end of the year and the beginning of a new one. Uh, are beautiful for uh, they are in a sense they are they ritualize our indescribable experience and they make it possible for us to to reflect on what's come before and to set in motion in a in a ritual way what is what is to come next and just as when people enter a meditation retreat they make the commitment to to wholeheartedly give themselves to the practice of stepping out of the, the thought worlds, stepping out of time, entering into the, the life of reality, coming closer and closer to the intimate experience of ourselves, and to cultivate uh, a great reverence and kindness to whatever it is that shows up. The same can be done as a New Year's resolution. I think of the New Year as a a wonderful time to do, this is something I do quite often though, is to reflect on what in the Tibetan tradition is called the Four Reminders. And I'll just mention them briefly, I'm not going to give a whole discourse on them. But first and foremost, to, in order to turn my consciousness, my attention to what is important in my life. That's the first thing I want to do is get, become clear about what is important and what's not so important. And what I found is these, the reflect, these four reflections have helped turn my mind toward what's important. And I call it, they're traditionally called the four mind changes. They change your mind from its usual preoccupations and turn your mind toward, at least in the case of the Tibetan teachings, turn your mind toward the Dharma. And the Dharma in this case, I mean the truth, the way things are. So it's turning your attention to how life is so that you can align yourself with or be in harmony with life the way it is. So these four reflections are, the first one is that, that, our, um, that this life is precious. It's kind of just like this moment is miraculous. Our li- it's miraculous that we have come to be. 
all the circumstances that led you to ex your existence, which have no beginning. They, it's, there's no beginning to your life. It, it started at farther back than you can know, that you are the result of, the, of myriad causes. You're not, you didn't just happen because your parents had that twinkle in their eyes and one thing led to another. Your parents were, were um, made by their parents and their parents and, and all of the, the influences, all of the cultural currents and the religious currents and the political currents and all the currents that were flowing had to come together in order for you to be. So each person is precious and individual, unique. Not one person here could be or should be different than the way you are. Otherwise you wouldn't have been made the way you were. Life wouldn't have forged you in the way that you are. It just wouldn't have happened. So any notion that there's a mistake or there's something wrong and there's something wrong with you, all that stuff that plays through our mind, only based on memory. Even though we come by those memories honestly because many of us had traumatic childhoods or we were influenced by so much ignorance, so much greed, so much hatred that we do get these false ideas of ourselves. But what we can reflect on is, in spite of all of that, we are unique. We are precious. Our life is precious. And we have precious, and I, I think of this the people in this room right now as being the, um, the uh, having such precious circumstances. So blessed that you have in the midst of this sea of greed and hatred and ignorance and so much awfulness in this world that you have realized that it's possible maybe to step out of that stream of distress and find peace in this very life, in this very moment. That it's available to you. It's, it's available as your own nature and all the acquisition, all the running from silence and all the distraction, none of it can give you what is, prime, what is innate in your nature. And then you've realized that. And so you've, been, you've come and you've stopped. And you've, you've come and you've, you're supporting other people to stop and look within and just, just wake up to reality. Not the story of reality, but that immediate experience. So we are, we are, we have precious. Um, this is a precious life with precious circumstances, rare circumstances. And I often, when I ever speak about this, I uh, often think about all the places in this world where we couldn't gather like this. It wouldn't even be safe. You know, even in this country, people don't usually talk like this. Uh, they usually. We're usually saying, <laughs> be different, go shopping, whatever. <laughs> there's not many, there's just not that much, many voices. So it's, it's, but it's something we can all realize. Our life is precious. And our situation is, um, is rare. And we all know because of 
weather, because of all kinds of non-personal circumstances, things can change on a dime. Our own, Ill, our own health can deteriorate at any time. Our resources can deteriorate. Life is fragile and unstable. And this is, um, this is how it is. It's not weird, it's how it is. But if we reflect on that, we, we may, in the face of the, the uncertainty of what our life will bring, that we'll passionately take advantage of the circumstances that we have. Reflect that this life is precious. And then the second reflection is that life is impermanent. And uh, we, have to be, we have to be prepared in this life because everything is in a state of flux. We have to be prepared to experience loss and change. Uh, the loss of our youth the loss of our health, the loss of our lives, the loss of our loved ones. This is, this is what comes with the territory. Our life has to be in some way a preparation, a learning how to let go, how to, how to not hold on so tightly because everything is changing and if you hold on to that which is changing, you get the equivalent of rope burn. You get, you suffer. You have mental suffering from it, and you have physical suffering. Our body shuts down. So we need to reflect on the preciousness of our, of our life, its impermanence. We also, it's helpful to reflect on the fact that, that everything that we do, day in and day out, our own version of our Jackson Brown moment, you get, it up, you get up and do it again, our own, all of that which feels like Groundhog Day, all of the 65,000 thoughts that we have, I know that Yvonne spoke about thoughts last week, and there is some statistic that we have 65,000 thoughts a day, and that 90% mostly are repeats from the day before. But everything that we do with our body, with our speech, with our mind, it leaves an imprint. It's like planting seeds. And everything that we do, say, or think, it bears fruit. Any seed that is planted bears fruit. And so it matters what we do with our time and our energy. As one great meditation master put it, his name was Padmasambhava, he said, if you want to understand your past, look at your present experience. Of course, when you do this, it can easily give rise to self-blame. I did this, and therefore I have to experience this. That's not how it works. One, there are many non-personal causes to what you experience in your present moment. But very much of what you experience in your stream of consciousness is the result of what you have, where you have dwelled. As the Buddha said very clearly, whatever one frequently dwells upon becomes the inclination of our mind. So if you want to understand your past, look at your present experience. It will tell you to some degree where you've been dwelling. If you're, if you're dwelling in negativity about yourself, about others, judging, um, 
If you dwell a lot in the wanting mind, any of you dwell in the wanting mind? This is a result of having practiced this. Of course, when we're oblivious to this, it's, it's very innocent. We don't know what we're doing. We're just kind of caught in the stream of our conditioning. So part of the inspiration on the first time of the year is, I want to wake up to what my mind is doing. I want to notice what seeds I'm planting and what seeds I have planted in the past. And when I see the effects of what I've done before, if I really honestly look at the effects of my life, I, I want that to be the cause of, I want to be so kind to myself because I didn't realize I was harming myself to the extent that I am. If that's, the, if that's what you realize. And if I realize that I've been planting a lot of wholesome seeds, and I think everyone in this room has planted a lot of wholesome seeds, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Already what the Buddha would describe as having paramis, a level of purity. I don't, I don't, don't get too uh, inflated about that, but certain, certain, certain wisdom and, and self-compassion in your stream of consciousness that, that calls you back to yourself, and that's, that's a good thing. That Padmasambhava quote doesn't end with, if you want to understand your past, look at your present experience. It says, if you want to understand your future, in other words, your future present moments. Look at your present actions. Look what seed you are planting now. So reflecting on the law of karma, on that every action of body, speech, and mind produces a fruit. And hopefully you start to incline your mind toward wakefulness, toward goodwill, toward non-harming, this is what the Buddha recommended, toward generosity, because it gladdens the heart so much, toward opening our heart as opposed to hiding away in fear and dullness and in our next pursuit of our next acquisition. Unfortunately, that has not made anybody truly happy. It's given us a lot of pleasure, a lot of new gadgets, a lot of, a lot of useful things. But for our happiness, for that, that which our heart longs for the most, our usual habits have not quite done that for us. And then the last thing to um, reflect on. So we have, we have preciousness of our life, impermanence, karma. Last one is to reflect on the fact that life has within it things that are hard to bear. And what makes that, what turns those basic difficulties into mental suffering is our unwillingness to open to that fact. And our tendency of mind to run away from the facts of life, to hide, to hide away, to, to hold so tightly to our to our pride in 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 uh, in being young when we're all aging, pride in our our health when we all are vulnerable to to disease at, at different times, and to hold on tightly to our pride in life and not open to the fact that someday 
our life will end as we know it. And so life has these inherent defects in it that, it, that it's unsatisfactory. It doesn't, it's not reliable. It doesn't last. And because everything changes, there's nothing in this world of change that can give you lasting satisfaction. To be in harmony with that brings a lot of relaxation and ease. To fight with it just makes us run from silence over and over. So reflecting on the inherent challenges of being a human being. So what the Buddha recommended is that if you want to be happy and be free in this very life, given all the conditions that are inherent in it, to take advantage of this open possibility that any moment of wakefulness brings, any moment that you're aware leaves you able to to make a decision about how you want to live your life. Any moment. Past one's gone, the next one hasn't happened yet. There's, There's this one and it's open. Sometimes that's a meaning of emptiness. This, is, this moment that we're sitting in right now doesn't have any meaning at all until you put something into it. And our mind will say, I don't like this, or I like it, or I want more of this, or I can't want to get rid of it. But it, it doesn't really have any inherent meaning. It's open. It's empty. And emptiness, in this sense, is a, uh, offers a creative possibility. So what the Buddha suggested that we do with this open field of creative possibility, and it's a great thing, I think, to do at the beginning of the year, is to commit ourselves first and foremost to, uh, to not causing any suffering during this year, if we can help it. Does that sound too general? <laughs> okay. First one, we'll we'll just start with the five basic training guidelines. Commit for this year not to kill any living being. No living being wants to be killed. It's another way of saying, cultivate every day, as many times as you can remember, a reverence for life. Just think if, if in this world we just stopped killing human beings. Wow. We will kill beings inadvertently, insects, animals, this and that. And, there, and there's a whole moral consideration and dilemma around eating flesh foods, etc., These are not commandments, these precepts, these training guidelines, these seeds to plant. They're places to pay attention. But the general direction is a reverence for life, not killing any living being. Committing this year not to take anything that has not been offered or freely given. Not to steal. To be very scrupulous about being, taking only that which is offered freely. And that's also a commitment to, uh, to developing a sense of sufficiency 
enoughness, uh, not feeding that view of yourself that you are lacking, that often is the engine, engine that drives theft, taking an insensitivity to others' property, etc. So making that commitment to not take that which is not offered, making the commitment to refrain from causing any harm in our sensual, sexual relationships because they are so tender, they are so sensitive. When we mingle with another person, we give away a rib. We, we mingle in ways that we, and the impact of that is dramatic, actually. And no amount of obliviousness really masks that. We can pretend there's not an intense exchange in sexual relations when we're just, uh, just feeding our, our desires. But at least the, the intention is not just to shame us for the suffering that we may have caused, but to help, help orient us toward uh, the intention to connect in this miraculous way of, of uh, sensual, sexual relationships for the purpose of love, of caring. Um, and, and as a, as a practice of non-harming, as a practice of connecting, as a practice of loving. So not causing harm with our sexuality. That means pausing. Is this, is this a wise, is this wise action to engage with this person? So again, not to use any of these as a cause of judgment, but hopefully to open our hearts and to wake up. So killing, stealing, sexuality. To commit to not causing any harm with our speech. Wow. To speak the truth. To speak that which is useful. And sometimes... True and useful, are, what may be true may not be useful. To speak in a timely way. To speak for the benefit of whoever you're speaking to. To speak in a way that doesn't cause harm. And often I know that I've had many thousands of moments where mindfulness was not strong enough to interrupt the tendency of my mind to strike out with my speech. And uh, I felt the effects of it. And I've, of course I've shared a lot of it on Tuesday night here. <laughs> and I'm, uh, it's a, I'm a work in progress at wise speech, as all of us are. But it is possible to, to align our speech with, uh, with non-harming. We plant the seed of ill will in our speech, it just comes right back at you. Plant the seed of kindness, of generosity with our speech. Even giving advice is sometimes tinged with aggression because we are caught in a view that we think other people should be, should be the way we think they should. So being particularly sensitive about unsolicited advice. And in, in the context of Buddha Dharma, 
of the teachings of the Buddha, the idea is to, um, to be a Buddha, not a Buddhist. Don't be busy converting anyone. As I told the retreatants, there's nothing smellier or more irritating than uh, someone proselytizing about teachings and practices. <laughs> See, you came here for, <laughs> to listen to that so, so I can get away with it. <laughs> I'm not really. Anyway, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, uh, to offer some thoughts, some stray thoughts about this. Then the last one, so we reverence for life, non-theft, our care in our sexual relationships, care with our speech. Finally, to commit to refraining from taking intoxicants to the point that they lead to heedlessness and carelessness, that they lead to, to harm. Where we, If we are truly committed to being awake, to stepping out of the stream of our, of our personality stories and our, our fixations on, on, uh, on the past or the future. If we really want to wake up, really want to be clear so that we can make more wise choices and, and have more wise speech and more wise action and more wise sexual relationships, we have to have our consciousness clear. So if you want clarity of mind, then you have to at least consider, is my use of intoxicants harming that capacity? And again, not as a means of self-castigation or judgment, but just being discerning, being discriminating about what you're doing. All for the purpose of awakening and for the purpose of non-harming. So that's the. So let's all just, um, if you're willing to, let's inwardly commit ourselves for this year. For this year, I, I would like to commit to refraining from killing living beings. For this year, I will commit to refrain from taking that which is not given. For this year. I commit to engaging in sexual relationships for the purpose of connection and caring, not causing harm in my sexual relationships. In this year, I commit to refraining from causing harm with my speech, commit to harmonious, true, useful, timely, beneficial speech. And for this year, I commit to being, to refraining from taking intoxicants to excess to the point of carelessness and heedlessness. I commit to openness of heart, clarity of mind. And I wish with all my heart that these basic training guidelines for my life will be the cause of happiness for myself and all beings everywhere. And while we're at it with the rituals, I'd just like to invite you to commit also very briefly to wakefulness, which is the Buddha, 
to the truth of whatever it is that's happening, commit to the truth, taking refuge in the truth, how things are, and, and, and commit to taking refuge in the support of the community of awakening each other and all those from beginningless time who have committed to awakening. This is the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. And I'll just chant the refuges and feel free to join me. Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sangam Saranang Gachami Dutiampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dutiampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Dutiampi Sangam Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Sangam Saranang Gachami I go to the Buddha toward wakefulness for my refuge. I go to the Dharma, the truth, the way things are for refuge. I go to the Sangha for a community of support for refuge. And, and may all of this lead to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated. Thank you for being here. Thanks uh, for listening. Thank you for your generous support. Uh, next week I plan to uh, continue this, this um, resolution for the year and I will include next week the, the four foundations of mindfulness, establishing mindfulness in the various ways that we can and I'll elaborate on that, and hopefully this year you'll do that as well. Just a little sneak preview, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of states of mind, and mindfulness of the way things are, mindfulness of the Dharma. So, to be continued, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.